The Going Up, Going Down podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello everyone and welcome to the Going Up, Going Down podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name is George Ellick and I'm not sitting opposite but I'm on the line to Ali Maxwell, the parachute payments to my West Bromwich Albion. We are committed to continue to provide to you the very best EFL content. We cannot preview any games. We've got a couple of great interviews for you coming up. One with the Athletics Derby writer Ryan Conway and one with Portsmouth defender Christian Burgess on what it's like to be a player in this current time. We also have some hot takes from Ali on to changes that football can make in the coming months. And I have an EFL Rewind, which maybe gives us a bit of what we're missing in terms of a promotion final day. This pod and all of the other athletic podcasts are available for free on all podcast platforms. And they're available ad-free on The Athletic site, which you can sign up to today by heading to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod. And you'll get 40% off your annual subscription. So normally at the top of the show, we would be doing our games of the weekend. Quite clearly, uh, there is no football to be covering this weekend or for the next few weekends. But as we mentioned last week on the Going Up, Going Down podcast, we are committed to continue to bring you the best EFL content and will continue to do so. But that means we go straight into Not The Back page where we look to just shine a light on some of the stories in the EFL and there is only one story dominating at the moment and that is of course the coronavirus and the impact that it's going to have on the leagues. The EFL released a statement yesterday saying that the priority is to finish the season and outlining a £15 million short-term relief package for the clubs and some other financial support that they will be giving. Uh, At the time of recording this afternoon the EFL and the Premier League will be meeting to discuss further how to best implement this financial support and how they're planning on finishing the season. So my advice to you would be to keep over all things on The Athletic. Make sure you're especially following Matt Slater's work, who we had on the Not The Top 20 podcast on Monday, because he's doing great stuff in terms of explaining the situation as it progresses, and it's progressing very, very quickly indeed. So keep on top of Matt's stuff. I think we'll probably see him with an article this afternoon further explaining the situation that the EFL is in at the moment. As for the rest of Not The Back page, we're actually going to throw to a roving reporter for the first time. I guess that's probably the wrong phrase because like most of us, this man is actually cooped up at home, uh, riding it out at the moment. It's Christian Burgess, who is Portsmouth's centre-back. We wanted to talk to Christian because I feel like with so much conversation surrounding the current situation uh, online, on podcasts, written content at the moment, one thing I feel has been slightly lacking has been the perspectives 
and opinions of the players themselves. We take them for granted at times, I think it's fair to say. So we dialed up Christian earlier to ask him how he's getting on, what he's doing, how his teammates are, what it is to be a footballer that cannot play football at the moment, and also about the situation with player contracts. Christian's own contract expires on the 30th of June. There's a lot of discussion about what should happen, what will happen with these contracts. Christian gives us his take as well. So here's our roving reporter, Christian Burgess of Portsmouth FC. So Christian, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, It's 11.10 in the morning and you've just told us that you've just got out of bed. So seemingly a different routine for an EFL footballer at the moment. Just give us a kind of an outline, I guess, as to how what you're doing day to day and what's kind of going on at Portsmouth at the moment. Yeah, um, I'm not doing a lot, to, to be honest. Um, the information that we've had is to basically uh, socially distance ourselves, um, keep, keep contact at a, a minimum, really. Um, we sort of got caught up with the whole Arsenal... Uh, scare I think we were tested um, two days ago and we find the results out later today actually um, wow okay yeah no nobody's had any symptoms or anything like that but uh, I'm basically on day seven of a sort of self-distancing self-isolation mix really and um, I've been out the flat twice so yeah it's it's not that exciting I mean, I, I guess before we talk about the football side of things, given that you're somebody who has been self-isolating and a lot of people listening are probably about to embark on that, is there any advice on a personal level you can give to people as to how to keep themselves sane during that time? Um, you know, I've actually really enjoyed sort of um, little workouts that I've done. They've just given me something to, to focus on. Um, there's a lot of time spent on the sofa tempted by the TV I've tried to keep the television off Um, but you know most people I think will be working from home will actually have to do some work whereas we're sort of just at home our work has stopped so it's it's a lot easier for us. Christian I notice on your Instagram page that not only are you doing these workouts but you're also sharing them with your followers giving some some top tips for staying in shape while self-quarantining. Uh, interesting that you went with the top off as well for one of those <laughs> videos, which I'm sure sure will have gone down well for many. But um, I mean, any uh, we've got serious stuff to talk about, but obviously a lot of people, footballers and normal people, are trying to fill the real-life football void with video games. Have you got a, a game of choice or are you not really into that? Are you, are you channeling your inner Kenny jacket and trying to get Pompey up into the second <laughs> tier and beyond? You know, firstly, the shirtless thing, I've got to dedicate that to our physio. He loves CrossFit and constantly goes on about shirtless workouts. So that was for him. Um, otherwise, unfortunately, I sort of sold my Xbox about uh, a couple of months ago. I just wanted to get rid of it. Um, I didn't play a lot anyway. So I, I, I sort of am regretting that a little bit. Um, and I don't have a football manager, so I'm, I'm pretty boring. I'm sort of confined to books and, and documentaries on, on Netflix and yeah other things so that's absolutely fine with me i think books and documentaries are great i mean my personal advice to people listening to this is that they should listen to as many efl podcasts as possible whilst they're self isolating. yeah that also (laughs) (laughs) i mean are you guys you you in constant discussion with the other players uh at portsmouth like we we know that you know clubs and teams have their whatsapp groups and things so you guys chatting a lot about what you're what you're up to and what you're going through yeah i mean there's been a bit of chat on the, on the whatsapp group mostly it's sort of um 
sort of fear mongering of what the the situation is going to look like in in you know a couple of days time there's a lot of rumors being spread um so it, it's mostly sort of conspiracy theories and that sort of thing um there's not a lot of what we're doing i think you know most people are sort of keeping themselves to themselves uh some are more worried than others um some are a little bit more relaxed so i think one of the problems there as well is, is the lack of guidance. I think, um, you know, people are sort of left to make up their own minds of what to do. And that's um, sort of a sticky situation. Christian, you're, you're out of contract um, at Pompey this summer. Uh, you've been at the club for five years, five very successful years. And this season looked like and looks like it still could be uh, another successful one. Were there any negotiations underway before this happened? How has the situation been affected by this this period where you know that we've all kind of ground to a, to a standstill? Yeah, um, it's a it's a little bit of you know the unknown. There were some negotiations. Um, I, I'm still in contact with the club, and um, that sort of contact will continue. Um, we're not panicking just yet. Um, Nobody knows what's going to happen. So whether the season's going to be finished before June, whether it's going to go on longer than the current contract is, we, we don't know. We just have to play it by ear, I think. Um, but, you know, I'm lucky as as there's an offer there and, you know, a couple of offers and, um, you know, some, some people perhaps aren't in that boat and, you know, might be a little bit more worried. So, yeah, it's, it's probably those them that I feel for at this time. There's been some discussion or suggestions, I guess, Christian, that... You know, in these exceptional circumstances, could we make an exception with contracts that are expiring on the 30th of June? And let's say, hypothetically, we need another month or two to finish the season just to extend those, uh, you know, at the current terms. Yeah. Just so that just so we don't have this big issue of players essentially running out of contract with, with time still to play. As an idea, I don't know if you've heard that, but I feel like what we're missing so far is someone actually asking the players what they think as a hypothetical. How does that make you feel? I think that would be the sensible thing to do. Um, I think we have to finish the season off, you know, if possible, just to uphold uh, the integrity of, of the season. You know, there's there's nine games left in our league and um, I've heard a lot of talk about whether that's behind closed doors or in front of fans. I, I think whatever means necessary, if I'm honest, and you know, it needs to be finished. Um, and if we have to then extend the, a contract by a month or so, I think that should be probably across the board for, for everybody. You can't find yourselves in a situation where you're extending some players for a month who you want and then some maybe you know, you don't extend them because they're not playing a part or, or anything like that. So I think it has to be across the board. It has to be fair. Um, and it also needs to, to work with other clubs and, and the future seasons as well, um, you know, with players moving on, etc. Uh, you know, that might affect their, their, you know, their next move. So um, I think it's a sensible thing though. As a pro, I mean, you know much more than us as fans, but there might be a prospect here where you could not be training for a couple of months or at least not training as intensively as you'd like and then suddenly being thrown into a situation where you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday for, for a few weeks. Yeah. How difficult would that be for you and how much would that, do you think that would impact you know, the, the football itself? I think it would definitely be a challenge. Um, you know, it's up to us as professionals to try and keep us fit as we can but obviously there are limits um you know we all don't have the, the facilities that some in the higher leagues have um i was going to sort of 
juxtapose my workout with Jesse Lingard's workout just by his pool and I thought that would make for an amusing watch but um yeah you know we, we you might find a, a high rate of injury perhaps and um, we might need a, a small period to sort of undergo a, a mini pre-season um but you know we've got to try and find a way to make it work the football might not be as good as it was before but we we, we have to try and finish the season I think and what does the the prospect of playing behind closed doors mean as well for a player? How does that impact the performances and, and the matches themselves? It's it's very different um, and it will impact us and the games for sure. Um, you know, it's not ideal. You know, fans are the lifeblood of football. I think everybody realises that, recognises it. But if it's the safest thing to do to complete this season maintain the integrity of those who go up and go down, then I think it needs to happen and we need to try and, you know, put a, a line under this season and move on, really. Uh, last but not least, Christian, uh, finish on a more lighthearted note. Out of your Pompey teammates, who, who do you feel is going to be thriving in uh, in isolation? Who do you think it really <laughs> suits? And who do you think is going to be really struggling? Who's Who's the overactive one that simply will be getting too cooped up? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably a good shout for the the most isolated one. I sort of enjoy my own company, my own time. So, <laughs> you know, I've I've not changed much of my uh, my daily uh, life apart from getting up a little bit later. Um, the one who strikes me most, who's going to be struggling, is Ellis Harrison. He does not have an off button. There is no off switch. <laughs> he is just constant um buzzing around he's got so much energy he would have been a, a handful at school you know I feel for the teachers um and, and he'll be struggling right now yeah <laughs> Christian whether you like it or not you are probably uh, in a, a rare category of footballers who's known to be uh, something of an intellectual with a with a, <laughs> with a with a bachelor's degree that you completed in history I think is this a good time for you to get back to your true roots leave behind this footballer lifestyle and and maybe look to to move towards a master's or something similar yeah every cloud has its has its silver lining um I've managed to to find some some good sort of time to read some of the books that I've been wanting to read um, I'm currently reading The Boy Who Followed His Father Into Auschwitz, which is uh, pretty harrowing, but it's um, a true story. So uh, I'd recommend it for anyone out there. Well, Christian, enjoy your bit of time off and enjoy the reading. And uh, I think everyone wishes you and all other footballers a uh, you know a quick resolution of this. And hopefully you're back to playing football very, very soon and trying to get promoted with Portsmouth. Thank you very much. And I'd just like to also you know say... Um, our massive thanks and uh, appreciation for all those people who are working, you know, on the front lines, especially, um, you know, we'll be eternally grateful to those as well. Well said. Cheers, Christian. Thank thanks you guys. Bye. Yeah, for our In Focus this week, something a little bit different in the sense that uh, we've not done a huge amount of legwork because we drafted in uh, an expert to help us discuss the topic. And the topic in hand is... This group of hugely talented young players at Derby County who are enjoying unprecedented success, more or less, for an EFL club uh, at youth level, but so many of whom we've started to see play for Derby's first team under Philip Koku this season. So, Ryan Conway, who covers Derby County for The Athletic, who is 
uh, as many of us are very much in isolation, but also still working hard to provide top content on the athletics site. Ryan joins us. Ryan, you're going to talk us through this seriously exciting batch of youngsters. Yes, I am, and it's been very uh, it's been very fun to to follow their journey, particularly in in Europe and uh, a couple of the cup games as well, because they've got such a, a wealth of talent down there. So there's a few things to get into, but firstly, something that happened recently: this side, uh, this group of young players, they won the under eighteen Premier League Cup last season, and that meant that they had something of a European adventure this season. And I know that you were. Well, following the side in their recent game, was it in Salzburg? Yeah, yeah. So they uh, they went out to uh, to Austria to play to play Salzburg. Um, the setting and scenery was absolutely beautiful. Um, unfortunately, the result for Derby was not, but that shouldn't over overshadow just how well they they did to to get to the last sixteen because uh, no nobody expected that. In fact, um, before the game, there was I think someone doing doing a hit for, for plus 24 or some television network. And, and they were asking the question, like, who is Derby County? You know, this isn't United. It's not City. It's not Arsenal. You know, it, it's just, it puts into perspective, you know, just how far they've come. And they've really put themselves on the map. And they beat Dortmund, didn't they, uh, previously? So that was, uh, if anyone needed reminding, exactly who this group of Derby County players were. Uh, in terms of those who have got first team minutes, let's go through this group. Uh, Jaden Bogle, of course, has been in the first team for, well, going on two years now. Really highly rated right back. Great going forward. Great energy. Um, we also saw Louis Sibley come into the side and he scored that absolute screamer the other day. Uh, Lee Buchanan, Morgan Whitaker, Max Bird and Jason Knight have all got first team involvement under their belts already this season. And they're all born within 14 months of each other. This is seriously, seriously unusual for a club to have a group of players this close in age, all of them making a step up to the first team uh, towards, well, around the same sort of time. Can you give us any background in how this group has come together? Are they all local? Is this just a once in a generation thing? And, and who takes the credit, I suppose, within the club for the, this this growth? Um, I think in terms in terms of credit, it's it, it spread across everyone at the club, even going as far back as you know Frank Lampard and Jody Morris, um, who did who did great work with uh, with the youngsters when when they were there last last season. Um, Mel Morris has obviously pumped a lot of money into the academy, and now that tree is starting to bear some very juicy fruit, as it as it were, um, <laughs> because you know the. Uh, for a club like Derby to be sustainable long term, you know you're going to have to make big profit on your academy players, and you know, so far so good. Um, a lot of this of this group, save for Jaden Bogle, who really took the championship by storm last last year, a lot of this group was part of the squad that you know beat Arsenal in the Premier League final and and won that trophy for the first time ever for for Derby. Um, I think Philip Cocker and his staff this season deserve a lot a lot of credit because they've had to rely more on the youngsters and not only rely on them, they've willingly thrown them in as, as well. You know, it's it's been a bit of column A, a bit of column B in terms of why they've got minutes, some injuries and some because they've they've deserved it. Um so Jason Knight made his first league start against West Brom in August. Um and Koku said, you know, he he was a lot of energy, but he didn't really know how to channel that energy correctly and you, you look at him now and 
and it's day and night. Max Bird was the same. I, I remember watching him against Scunthorpe in the Carabao Cup, and he looked lightweight. You know, he looked not physically ready for for men's football, as it were. And he came off the bench against Wigan at Boxing Day. He looked very, very good. And then he, he's not missed. Oh, he started the only game he's missed is uh, Hull at home. He was he was on the bench, but he's he's started every game since. Wayne Rooney called him the best player. Now that is some compliment. <laughs> um, that's incredible what what just let's focus on bird for a minute because as you say uh, aside from bogle who's already established he seems like the one who has taken his chance to the greatest extent at this stage what is it about him as a player that makes someone like wayne rooney say words like that oh, he's he's going to be a star he, he's he's just so so good um the, the comparison i made was was michael carrick in that he, he will probably have a career that is vastly underrated um, but it's it's his willingness to show for the ball. You know, he he, he doesn't hide. Um, it, when they went against Charlton, they went down to ten men inside twenty minutes when Christian Bielik got sent off, and that was a big spot for for Bird because he was screening with Bielik. So he essentially then played that role on his own, and he he, he was just he was superb. You know, he he makes his runs really intelligently. He's one and two touch football. He picks the ball up, sprays it. He doesn't admire his working moves. Um, and then in defensive phases, he's got really intelligent positioning. So he sort of he sort of positions himself really smartly to shield the back four, but then also where he can go and press two men if, if he needs to, essentially cutting out two passing lanes. And he, he never panics under pressure. He's got a brilliant range. He, he he plays a lot of short passes, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he can play long long passes. He's got such good range. He's, and a weight of pass as well. He's just brilliant. He's just absolutely brilliant. Um, and there are those inside inside the club that that think that he will be captain material for the next decade if if they're wow. lucky enough to have him for it's the a, next the next decade. It's a glowing reference there for, for for Max Bird, who you say is maybe a little bit under the radar in terms of what he does and doesn't get the appreciation that he necessarily deserves. Max Bird had some some personal troubles as as well. I think um, last season he sadly lost his father so so to, to come through all this adversity and be where he's at it, it's just remarkable unbelievable uh, and a, definitely a player to look out for but I, was, I mean as i was saying louis sibley certainly made a, a pretty big impression with that screamer a couple of weeks ago as ali said a player who i've seen compared to to will hughes maybe that's got more to do with his hair than his uh, his his style of play um but he seems to be someone who if bird is the understated talent then Sibley is someone who's going to really capture the imagination of fans yeah I think the comparison with Hughes is warranted in some aspects I think Hughes had a little bit more finesse in in how he dribbled and the way that that, that he dribbled and could float between the lines Sibley just kind of picks the ball up and runs forward um and it's 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 a simple but effective tactic I mean again against Blackburn like the Blackburn defense was hot stepping backwards they, they were petrified because he he literally just picks it up and runs in the direction of towards the opposition goal, and it's it's so it's so rare to to see that. Normally, you know, there's a there's a faint, a jink, a little trickery, but he, he doesn't do any of that, and it's he's very simplistic in his in his game. Koku, after the Crystal Palace game, the FA Cup tie, um, in which I, I think yeah, I think that was his, I think that was his first senior start. Um, no, no, that, that wasn't his first. He had one in the cup. But anyway, uh, Koku said his, his defensive positioning needed a little bit of work. And in that game, he deployed Huddleston and, and Rooney as the screen. And the reason for that was so they could guide him. You know, how 
how far to stay up the pitch, how deep to drop in when they're defending, because obviously he then, as the 10, leads the charge when they're on counter-attacks. I think a lot of fans were hoping Sibley would get more minutes when Dwayne Holmes went down with injury against against Huddersfield Town, and it's um, it, it's taken a little bit of time and a little bit of frustration, but he's now got a very, very good start under his belt in the league. Should say that he was excellent against Manchester United in the Cup as well, um, where he, again had defenders backing off him, backing off him. It's, um, it, it is quite a sight to see Victor Lindelof and Eric Bailly back off Louis Sibley. Um, so, yeah, that was... that Those two games and the fact that he stitched them together in a row, they, they lay down a marker. I mean, you know, Dwayne Holmes is a very good player and has been one of Derby's better players in the second half of this season, but there's a very healthy competition for that number 10 shirt now because there, there's no way that Louis Sibley can just go back to being on, on the bench or you know, drop down again and play under 23's football. And I should say he's a, he's a great kid as well. He's, he's, such a, he's such a great kid. He's fiery, he's competitive. Um, you know, the, the, those, those that are, are close to the, to the youth set up always say that it's, it's never a surprise when he, when he gets chippy and he's, he's mouthing off at be it officials or you know, teammates or anything like that. He's, he's just got such a competitive fire within him that it just burns so bright and it, you know, translates on the pitch. It's great. It's so exciting to hear about these guys. Obviously, we've seen many of them in the flesh. The Derby fans are seriously excited. We're going to get to some of their points that they've made to us on social media uh, about this group of players and why they're so exciting in just a minute. Uh, I can't let you go, Ryan, without a question on Wayne Rooney because, uh, you know, for all the obvious benefits that he was going to bring to Derby, first and foremost on the pitch as a player, secondly, commercially and all that that uh, and, and all that comes with that side of the game but also in in reading up about his time at DC United um there was some great articles about his time there on the athletic site and one of the things that stuck at one of the things that stuck out for me was how he interacted with the younger players in the team and despite his incredible history in the game uh, at, at at every level basically the, the way that he treated those who hadn't had such a good start to the game and, and the way that he looked to help the young players. Uh, you've got your finger on the pulse within Derby. Have you had any indication of the impact Rooney is having on these players and how he's going about helping them or, or how much of an appetite he has for helping these players in his coaching role as well as his playing role? Yeah, I think um, having, having spoken with, with Wayne a couple of times about the, the youngsters, I think... What comes across is now he sees it as his responsibility to pass on all that he's learned within the game and everything that he knows about you know various positions. Even though a lot of Derby's sort of hot young properties aren't forwards, they're actually midfielders, and it's a position that he has transitioned to later in his career. But he's you know he'll have seen it all and and has seen it all from that position throughout his decorated career. He has an appetite for it. Um, he. He's a big fan of, of Jason Knight as well, we should say. Um, he, he, Wayne said in an interview with Rams TV that he reminds him very much of himself, you know, and that he's fearless. He's got a lot of energy. Not quite sure how to use it, but he's got a lot of it. Um, you know, and, 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 he'll, and he'll learn how to deploy that better and, you know, he refuses to, to be beaten. I think, I think in terms of... Um, He's he's a vocal he's a vocal leader. He's always been vocal on the pitch, but I think in terms of he, he's pointing out positions of where guys need to be on on the pitch around him, and 
he talks to them, he, you know, a lot of gestures, a lot of come here, no, go there, go that way, now move. And I think the, the biggest thing for these young players is that Rooney trusts them with the ball. You know, he's very willing to give the give Jason Knight the ball, give Jaden Bogle the ball, give um, Max Bird the ball, and to then receive it back and then give it to them again and let them do their work. And I think that is as big a confidence boost as any because if he didn't trust them to help the team progress, you know, up the pitching games or trust them to keep hold of the ball and make smart decisions, he just wouldn't give them the ball. Um, and I think that's that's the biggest indication of where they're at in his estimations, you know, that, that he trusts them to do the right thing with the ball and, uh, you know, he doesn't have to babysit them basically. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's been, it's been good to watch. And like I said, I think, I think now he sees it as, as an obligation, as a responsibility to pass all that knowledge forward. You can only imagine how much of an impact that is having on some of these young players. Uh, Ryan, stay on the line. Cause I'm going to read a couple of tweets that we've had from Derby fans. And then there's one name and a hell of a name that I need to ask you about after these tweets. Um, but when asking the Derby fans who they were most excited about and, and what it meant for them, really, to have a, a group of players coming through like this, we got a number of responses, a great range. So thank you to those who contributed. James says, if Rooney wasn't there, I'd argue Max Bird has been the most composed player on the pitch at the age of 19. Knight has been great too and the best clearly yet to come from Sibley. Desire Lines said, assuming we don't sell any this summer, Bogle and Max Lowe, who we haven't mentioned because he's a couple of years above these guys, but still impacting the first team. They could rival Aarons and Lewis for best fullbacks in the championship. Aarons and Lewis, obviously, through the Norwich uh, system. Sibley and Knight bringing tenacity and attacking threat, but Max Bird is the one to watch. So Bird is is getting the nod from a few of these guys, but here's the first mention of another name, Jack, saying the crop have come into this team and been a breath of fresh air, but they are just the start. Hector Ingram will surely get an opportunity next season with all the goals he scored, but I'm most excited to see Festi Ebosella Yes. <laughs> yes. I wonder if you were ready for that. Daniel carries on. The the one I'm most excited about who hasn't made it yet is Festi Ebosele. Uh, and David himself said, underneath you have these players who played Dortmund, one of the best academies in the world, off the park. Archie Brown, Aaron Cashin and Festi Ebosele. So I've got to ask, who is Festi and why are we so excited about him aside from his sensational name? He is brilliant he's absolutely brilliant um he's a right back so there is obviously a Jaden Bogle shaped uh wall in the way of his progression at, at the moment but obviously with with, with Jaden we don't know we know clubs were, were sniffing around him in January and no doubt that interest may return in the summer so um we don't know what his future holds just yet um against Salzburg Eberselli was Derby's best player um, he was matched up consistently with um, Kareem Adeyemi, who for Salzburg, who is who is going to be an absolute star. There are reports that Barcelona and Liverpool are looking at him. He won the gold medal for best young player in in Austria. Um, he is the next hot property through the Salzburg academy, and Eberselli was matched up with him and um, stride for stride went went with him every every step of the way. His speed is just. It's just off the charts. It, it, they, they, he should not be allowed to be that quick. Um, now, now there is a qualif- Now there is a qualifier in that sometimes that speed bails him out of trouble for being out of position two or three yards up the field, and that's fine. But 
you know, at a higher level, better better attackers will expose that. But that's okay. You know, he's still learning um, the position and he's still getting that experience under his belt. And um, his determination is it, it just refuses to be beaten. Um, he clatters into he clatters into players, and if he doesn't win the ball, and then he's there, he's scrapping, and he you know he somehow you know comes out of the challenge with the ball and then he bursts upfield and you know might take it take a heavy touch and then he clatters into another player and wins that ball and then he's off again and yeah he just he just refuses to be to be beaten. His crossing, his final ball could do with some work. Um sometimes knowing whether to to hang it up high for, for an on rushing attacker or fizz it fizz it in low or cut it back. That could do with some work. Um but he he really he really really is a, a a good solid quality player. Every time I've watched him, I've never left the game thinking, mm, not sure, not sure it, 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 that was his best game. He just he just always impresses. He he refuses to be to be beaten, and he's coachable as well. You you see Justin Walker on the side, um, giving him tips and hints here and there. You know, telling him what to do, what not to do, um, and you see that those adjustments made um, in in real time on on the pitch. He he really he really is a good player. He really is a good player. Another one that I, I think that. That Koku should see. Maybe he gets the invite to the to the preseason next uh, next year. Ryan, thank you so much for for giving us the insight and expertise into this group of young Derby players. Looking at the second tier as a whole, I can only really think of this group at Middlesbrough, who have also got plenty of game time this season. Uh, most of those guys are a couple of years older than some of the players we're talking about, but they really are the only potential rivals for this current Derby crop of young players getting their chance in the first team and taking it fairly spectacularly. So it's been brilliant to hear all about them, Festy as well as everyone else. And Ryan, of course, um, while things are shut down across the footballing world, uh, you are still coming up with plenty of new, fresh content for The Athletic, Derby-related. Uh, can you give us an insight into what you're working on at the moment, what we can expect over the next days and weeks? No. <laughs> no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm of course playing. Um, yes, yeah, so 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 hopefully we will have an interview drop-in with a, with a Derby cult hero, um, next next week, that of Grigosh Rajak. Um, we've 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 uh, we've hopefully hopefully got that that drop in next week, and then we've got um, we've got our, our goals piece that we're that we're rolling out. So I asked the fans on on social media to give me some of the the most important or some of the best goals of the last decade. So we're we've uh, we've got we've got that content coming coming up, and I let I let them pick. So if if, it's, if people tell me it's wrong, then they'll have to win fight between themselves because I, I just tallied up the. I just tallied up the tallied up the results, um, and then hopefully um, we've got a current manager, uh, ex Derby player, but current manager who will uh, hopefully be speaking to us about their uh, their management career and how they prepare for for games. So you'll have to keep your eyes peeled for for that as well. Now it's time for Ali Maxwell's hot take in the hot take debate. Quite a tricky week, I guess, to be doing this, Ali. Um, you know, not much going on really for you to, to to get your teeth into. But knowing you, you'd have found an angle of attack with which you want to uh, to get to get your teeth stuck into. So have a go. Yeah, it's it's a tough week partly because there's obviously so much going on that a lot of your average hot takes just feel a bit irrelevant at this time. So you're having to think on a wider level. I mean, the, the obvious one would be, here are some crazy ways to decide the, the season if we need to decide the season without playing the games. Um, but I, I mean, I'm trying to be fairly level-headed about that stuff. So I didn't really want to just make up some opinions about how to do that. I mean, I'm sure, George, you'd like to see it decided by XG. 
G ratio, but um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's particularly forthcoming. No, you're right. It is a tough time. I actually tried to enlist the help of, of my girlfriend earlier. I said I need to come up with a strong contrary view, uh, something to do with EFL football. Uh, and she thought for a while and then went, what about actually not having football is a good thing? I was sort of stunned to silence. And then she added quite quietly, that would certainly be contrary. Uh, And she's right, that would be very contrary. But I couldn't think of any way of backing that up because frankly, like many people, I'm really struggling without football. So instead, I looked elsewhere. I was slightly inspired by a piece on the Athletic site the other week in which the Athletic writers wrote about ways in which they would change the game. If you could change one rule in football, what would it be? And everyone had a go. Everyone gave their opinion. Bizarrely, we didn't get the call up for this. So I'm taking my chance now. Uh, there are a couple of rule changes I'd like to see rolled out. I think the EFL trophy would be a, a good place to try these. I'm not suggesting these should go straight into league football, but I do think they are uh, food for thought, interesting uh, things. A sin bin for dissent. That's what I'd like to see. I think red cards would be slightly extreme, but I think a sin bin of about five minutes would be you know, bad enough in terms of letting down your team and your teammates to have a fairly significant impact on what I do think is clearly an ugly side to football. Um, I'm not necessarily talking about you know, questioning the decision or appealing for a throw or a free kick, but basically the sort of aggressive, uh, abusive language and even body language shown towards uh, the officials, referees and their linesmen as well at times. I think I think we all kind of know the sort of things that we're talking about. There's, there's occasions where you can see players um, really showing an ugly side, those, those angry faces spewing abusive language towards uh, a linesman or a referee who, for the most part, just doing their best. Uh, and that is something that I would like to reduce because clearly... Um, we all watch a lot of football now and it's becoming a little bit too normal, I think. Uh, it's not necessarily, I don't think, going to seep into my life and my character as I am a relatively developed adult at this stage. But there are a lot of young people uh, who watch the game and I, I can't see any reason why uh, they should be watching players behave in this way. So I, I, I would suggest a five minute sin bin for the sort of properly abusive language um, or actions shown towards referees and linesmen. I think it would be utter carnage for a few weeks potentially for a month <laughs> or two but um adapt or die is quite a common phrase these days and i think that the players and teams would i think it would benefit the game in the long run uh, also substitutions george why is it capped at three could we try could we try four could we try well, this five was, this was a conversation you and i had wasn't it just recently I, I, we talk about so much stuff. I, I sometimes forget. I, I think, could we say, let's, let's trial this. Could we say six subs are allowed, but only at specific times? So you can only make a sub, obviously not including injury-related substitutions, at half time, after 60, and after 75. You know, none of these 90 plus three injury time subs just to waste that last minute of the game. And I, I'd be interested to see what this would mean. Would managers use them all? Would they love to have three more subs to use? Would maybe making too many substitutions, does that have any impact on the flow of the team and the flow of the game? And in which case, maybe you would use them sparingly. But I think crucially for me, this would come with a, a rule change in terms of youth development. There's currently in the EFL, the rule that you can only have, or you have to rather, have one club developed player on the team sheet. And if you don't have one on, then you, your number of substitutes gets reduced to six. I would like to see more subs 
allowed to be made, but I would like to see that rule get stricter. I'd like to see potentially three club-developed players on the team sheet. On this episode, we've we've spoken about Derby and the way in which they're integrating a very talented uh, young group of players into their first team. I would like to see teams have more pressure on them to do this for the good uh, of the game. So... Uh, Is it a hot take? I don't know. It probably doesn't quite get to that category, but hopefully people will understand this week that it's difficult to come in steaming, piping hot in the situation that we're in. There's a few uh, additions uh, from me in terms of new rule changes I'd like to see rolled out once football gets back underway. Hey, now it's time for EFL Rewind. It's George Ellick's turn to delve into the history of the EFL and to come up with the wackiest, the craziest, the most interesting stories that we may have forgotten from yesteryear. This is certainly one feature that is not impacted by the craziness of current events. George, where are you taking us in this week's EFL Rewind? The funny thing is, is I can see you and I doing an EFL Rewind in about eight years, talking about the coronavirus, the impact it had on the EFL. But we're not there yet. uh, And I am taking us to 2015, 2016. So not even very long ago. Uh, Wow. But we are now in mid-March and this is normally when we should be looking forward to the exciting promotion run-ins. And we are, at least for the time being, going to be starved of that. So I want to take us back to an exciting one and just go through the story of the League 2 promotion run-in. Just the final day, really, in 2015-2016. To start at the top, Chris Wilder's Northampton side absolutely romped to the League 2 title. Uh, The players and staff weren't paid in October or November, but that did not stop them going on an almighty run. Uh, Northampton under Wilder lost on the 19th of December against Pompey 2-1. They were still in second position after that game, level on points with Plymouth Argyle, but they went unbeaten in the next 24 games, winning 16, drawing 8. They had Ricky Holmes, Mark Richards, James Collins, all proving too much (laughs) up front uh, for Northampton, and they won the league with 99 points. So congratulations, Chris Wilder. We know what happened Magnificent. next. We know where he went. We know uh, what he's doing now. And that was just the beginning. But it's the teams below that we're going to look at. Because going into the last day of the season, we had Accrington Stanley on 84 points. We had Oxford United on 83 points. And Bristol Rovers on 82 points. Only two of them could go up. And all three of them had winnable games going into that last day. Accrington were... Um, away at Stevenage, who are 19th. Oxford hosted Wickham, who'd had a decent season in 10th. And Dagenham and Redbridge travelled to Bristol Rovers, to the Mem, and they were 23rd and had already been relegated. So you'd think that Bristol Rovers had you know, the easiest game of the lot. And just a bit of a word on all three sides, because what Accrington had been doing to get in that position was absolutely unbelievable. Back in 2010, 2011, they'd finished 5th and lost in the playoff semi. And I think everyone in the football world thought that that was probably Accrington's only chance to get up into League One. Uh, They then finished 14th, 18th, 15th and 17th in the next few seasons. So really battling to keep their league status. But then under John Coleman had this incredible season where they were in second going into the final day. And Coleman himself compared a possible promotion of Accrington's into League One as as unlikely as Leicester City's Premier League title win. So that just shows you <laughs> just what he thought. And a couple of signings they made the summer before really changed the course of Accrington Stanley to where they are now. Billy Key and Sean McConville both joined in that summer. Two players who've been so, so important to the amazing work that Stanley have done. Josh Windass and Matt Crooks were also two key players who controversially yeah. signed pre-contract agreements for Rangers in January 
whilst they were still playing for the club and had to continue playing for Accrington. Uh, Andy Holt, the Accrington owner, not happy at all at the time this had happened. But that, you know, there was two of their key players and they played the run into the season knowing that they were leaving the club. On to Oxford United under Michael Appleton. And I'm not going to go into too much detail here <laughs> or bore you too much, but I'll just read out the side that played in that game against Wickham because you can see how much quality there was in that team for a League Two side. This is just, what, four years ago. Benji Bukel in goal, but at the back you had Jake Wright, John Joe Kenny, Shea Dunkley and Josh Ruffles. In midfield, Liam Serkham, John Lundstrom, Chris Maguire and up top, Kim Roof, Danny Hilton and Alex McDonald with Callum O'Dowda coming off the bench as well. You've got more players there who are now playing in the Premier League or, or in the Championship than, than those who are playing below that level. On to Bristol Rovers now. And they were gunning for back-to-back promotions. Daryl Clark had effectively taken them down into non-league. He was appointed in March and then lost on the final day of the season against Mansfield when a draw would have been enough to, to save their league status. They'd been in the EFL for 94 years before that. And Daryl Clark's emotion in that press conference in tears on the final day, one of the overriding memories of that season. But they bounced back to League Two the next season with a victory on penalties against Grimsby Town at Wembley. Uh, and they returned to the club, to, sorry, to the leagues in a much, much better position. Matt Taylor, the key at the top at the top of the pitch, he was top scorer for them in the conference the year before. He was the top scorer in the whole of League Two with 27 goals. Uh, and they won 11 of their last 15 games in proper Daryl Clark style to get them into that position on the closing day of the season. So, I'm going to take you through how the last day went, the drama that unfolded, and we'll start off at the Memorial Ground where Bristol Rovers were facing Dagenham. And they went 1-0 down after just 12 minutes. Of course, if they lose this game, that is enough for both Accrington and Oxford to get promoted no matter what happened. Guess who scored? I mean, you'll never guess, but I was very surprised to see you scored for Dagenham and Redbridge. A very young lone by the name of Matty Cash getting on the score sheet. No for, way. For Dagenham, yeah. Putting them 1-0 up. Wow. But just three minutes later, Billy Bowden restored parity. And at half time, all three teams were drawing. Rovers won all. Wow. Accrington 0-0. Oxford 0-0. So no change at the top, but so much to play for. The first kind of 20 or so minutes of, of, of the second half. So Oxford go 1-0 up through Shea Dunkley. And then Chris Maguire putting them 2-0 up in the 74th minute. And that all but guaranteed promotion for Appleton's side as the win was enough. So it came down to these last two sides with 15 minutes to go if either of them could get a goal that would likely be enough to send them up Accrington going up as it stood at nil nil in the last 15 minutes of Accrington's game against Stevenage they hit the woodwork three times <laughs> Sean, Mc- Sean McConville hits, hits woodwork twice Matty Pearson hits the bar nothing is going in but as the game creeps towards stoppage time they know that nil nil is enough if Bristol Rovers don't score Rovers at home against a relegated side, having gone 1-0 down, one all. They have 35 shots in the game, 16 of which were on target, and they couldn't break through. They were sending so many men forward that Dagenham break with a couple of minutes to go, and Lee Brown, the left-back, clears off the line to keep it at one all. Wow. They go up the other end, the ball breaks to Taylor in the penalty box. The man about to score his 28th goal of the season, the talisman, the leading goal scorer, he curls it into the far corner, and off it comes against the post absolutely desperate times but there is the man Lee Brown who had just cleared the ball off the line he's galloped up the left hand side and he pokes the ball in in the 92nd minute to send Bristol Rovers up you've never seen scenes like it he rips his shirt off runs into the crowd absolute limbs behind the goal and uh, and if, I mean I'm, I'm sure everyone's seen this it was only four years ago but if you haven't seen the photos of Daryl Clark 
after the game. They are quite something to behold. I've never seen such emotion etched into someone's face before. And for Accrington, poor Accrington Stanley, who thought they were promoted, they then had to pick themselves up for a playoff campaign in which they conceded a 90th minute goal to AFC Wimbledon in the first leg. They went 2-0 up in the second leg conceding an Adebayo Akinfenwa equaliser late in the second half before Lyle Taylor grabbed the winner in extra Man. time. That is three horrific matches to have to watch as an Accrington fan. Thankfully, yeah. as we now know, there were happier days to come. But in a time where we're being starved of final day drama, I just wanted to relive one of the most iconic final days in League Two. And uh, and yeah, and as I say, thankfully for Accrington, who, who were the losers at the time, their day was to come. And for Bristol Rovers, still in League One as well. Such wonderful memories. I remember it well, working on the highlights show that day. Uh, the Memorial Ground is right up there in terms of limbs potential, isn't it? And I, I cringe slightly using that word. It feels like a very social media word that probably shouldn't be used on a podcast. But those Bristol Rovers fans, they do know how to celebrate late goals, it's fair to say. George, uh, you have brought back some wonderful memories. You delivered it as beautifully as ever. You truly are the Stephen Fry of the <laughs> EFL audio world. Uh, what does and that thank make you? Thank you very, very much. <laughs> that makes me Hugh Laurie. Love I don't it. know. Nice. Is it Laurie? I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it. Uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Going Up, Going Down podcast. Trying our best to keep bringing you the best EFL audio content despite the current uh, lull, shall we say, in actual football. Let us know what you've liked about this episode at NTT20Pod, at The Athletic UK on Twitter. The Athletic has certainly not been suspended. They are continuing to churn out all the best possible football content. Not just football as well, but American sports on the site and the app as well. Tons of podcasts available if you need more audio content. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic and you'd like to do so, you can give it a go today and you'll get 40% off your annual subscription. If you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFLpod, that's all one word, EFLPOD, 40% off your annual subscription. Uh, give it a go today. Check out The Athletic. And we'll be back again next week for a fresh new episode of Going Up, Going Down. Let's see how hot George's take can be. I'll find something to tell you about from EFL history. We'll join you then. Have a good weekend. <laughs> <laughs>